Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is volume 13, issue number 12, that corresponds to the week of March 6, 2023. In this issue, we're going to look at the third installment of the cholesterol story. We're going to look at how to avoid inflammatory bowel disease and then a recipe of the week. Song of the week is Pure and Easy by Pete Townsend. Okay, cholesterol lipid hypothesis part three. So far, I have put forth some hypotheses that are controversial and raise questions about the American College of Cardiology guidelines. This is fine with me because this is about stimulating conversation about disease etiology and treatment. Readers are never encouraged to go against their physician's recommendations. The choice to change a current therapeutic regimen is solely between the patient and their provider, and frankly is likely predicated on how much damage has occurred over one's current lifetime, coupled with genetic risk and the ability to alter lifestyle risk factors effectively. I believe that pharmacotherapy, i.e. statin drugs, are necessary for patients who are unwilling to pursue aggressive lifestyle changes, has significant genetic risk factors, don't respond well to herbal therapies, or have advanced coronary artery disease requiring medication therapy. However, I do encourage every person to look at the science, be informed, and then discuss with their physician the possibility of non-pharmacologic therapy with or without drug treatments where possible. This has two benefits. One, you can decrease dose of drug if taken for the effect needed. Two, needing no drug at all. I find this truth to be real in many instances in medicine. For example, we have children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder who, when mitigate many of the upstream lifestyle risk factors like diet, getting effective sleep, taking care of themselves, not doing any harmful drugs like cigarette smoking or vaping, that the amount of medicine they need, if they need medicine at all, is 50 to 70% less than otherwise, leading to less side effects and less problems overall. So for me, that's sort of my desire behind this previous statement regarding pharmacotherapy for cardiovascular disease. I think that we should really challenge ourselves to do as much as we can to hit the upstream risk factors so that when we do need medicine, the doses are small and relatively low in side effect profile. So for me, I think that that is a critical point. We as a culture need to be proactive in reducing risk by making making a significant lifestyle change or changes that are pro-longevity, anti-inflammation, and stagnation. This will significantly reduce the need for medicine and reduce morbidity and mortality. Let's look at type 2 diabetes as an example, one of the greatest risk factors for coronary artery disease in and of itself. Whereas type 1 diabetes is an irreversible loss of pancreatic insulin production because of autoimmune destruction of the insulin-producing islet cells of the pancreas, whereas type 2 diabetes is completely preventable and reversible. Type 2 diabetes is an inflammatory-based insulin receptor problem that has acquired over years of poor-quality standard American dietary choices coupled with sedentary behavior and toxin exposure. It is reversible by completely overhauling your diet, avoiding toxicants, and exercising daily. The fact that we give humans insulin for type 2 diabetes speaks to the reality that we, as a culture, are more wedded to eating what we like and want versus what makes us healthy. We are not doing a great job as a society of reducing our exposure to air, water, 
and food-based toxins that affect our risk. We are not doing a good job of reducing our stress levels, and we are not doing a great job of exercising and walking enough for insulin resistance prevention. Back to the cardiology story. The blockbuster statin drugs benefits are likely related to the pleiotropic effects and not solely on blocking the cholesterol synthesis enzyme HMG-CoA reductase. There is significant emerging data to support this notion. For example, atorvastatin has the ability to reverse lipid immune signaling defects that are present in systemic lupus patients and are thought to drive autoimmunity. Again, I believe that coronary artery disease is an infectious inflammatory media disease of the artery wall, which would have which, excuse me, which would make sense as this data mechanistically emerges. I believe that we have settled on the fact that cholesterol is not inherently bad unless unbalanced, and that it clearly has a beneficial role in human health. We need to understand what really causes coronary artery disease. Dr. Mark Houston has written extensively on this topic and is a specialist in non-pharmacologic management of heart disease. Since it is my stated goal to aggressively pursue non-pharmacologic mar- management if possible, especially at the youngest ages, he is my go-to source for information. As stated earlier, coronary artery disease is caused by endothelial dysfunction, which precedes arteriosclerosis, an atherosclerosis that we call a narrowed heart artery. This narrowed artery eventually has a plaque that ruptures, causing rapid vessel closure that is called a heart attack, or myocardial infarction, MI for short. Let's try and imagine this event in our minds. Physiologically, an artery is made up of sheets of cells that organize in interlocking rows that form an endothelium of a long tube for blood flow to go through. This is straightforward plumbing. Under normal homeostatic conditions, this tube is repaired constantly for blood to flow undisturbed forever. However, under stress from unbalanced mechanical and chemical forces, these cells will become dysfunctional, called endothelial dysfunction. Mechanical stress occurs with high pressure in the blood. Chemical stress occurs primarily through genetic risk factors, toxin exposure, and poor quality diets. For the sake of this discussion, I'm going to focus on the chemical stressors as the mechanical stressors will be reduced by the same treatments that reduce chemical stress. The major cause of chemical stress on the coronary are, one, unbalanced macronutrients, fats, carbohydrates, and proteins, two, unbalanced micronutrients, minerals primarily, three, host genetics, four, dysfunctional intestinal microbiota, and five, toxins. There are over 395 other causes, however, these are the big five that account for a large part of the disease. Let's, us, let's look primarily at inflammation and oxidative stress as two of the major and most damaging events occurring in the heart and the rest of the body primarily due to poor quality diet choices, but also from exposure to drugs, chemicals, excessive exercise, excessive sun exposure, and smoking. Oxidative stress is basically the event that occurs in the body when the, na- when the naturally beneficial oxygen radicals are overproduced. These oxygen radicals are naturally produced by our cells to clear infections or during mitochondrial energy production activities. These radicalized molecules have unpaired electrons that are in mad search for another electron to balance their sensibilities. When free and radical, they can destroy a bacterial or viral cell wall with this unpaired electron. When we have a pathogen to kill, this is a good thing. What is not good is when they run into our liver cell or heart cell first. This causes damage. When it occurs to our cell wall and the enzyme that are part of that structure has catastrophic effects for us on how we function, if it occurs in high frequency. 
This is one of the major pathways to endothelial dysfunction, ultimately heart disease. If, for example, you consume too much mercury by excessive consumption of tuna and you smoke cigarettes, you can start this cascade of reactive oxygen species that cause inflammation and cellular damage to the artery wall. Now, let us say that hypothetically you have a genetic predisposition for small and dense lipoprotein cars called LDL cholesterol that stay in circulation longer than normal because of gain-of-function PCSK9 single nucleotide polymorphism mutation and also an apolipoprotein E34 genotype, which reduces clearance of lipoprotein cars further while concomitantly consuming a high-refined carbohydrate diet that promotes inflammation and oxidation. Then, you have a ripe condition for small, dense LDL, low-density lipoprotein particles, to squeeze between a damaged endothelium of the artery wall, causing a problem to develop in that spot because of this concentrating concentration gradient of these LDL particles that are in high volume being pushed through this damaged area in the wall of the artery. These LDL particles can become oxidized by local oxygen radicals that are in this area, making them a target for the immune system to be engulfed by a macrophage cell, thus beginning the process of atherosclerosis. Over a long period of time, many decades, this pattern repeats itself over and over and over again until a fibrous plaque forms over top in order to protect the vessel wall. If this plaque becomes big enough and ruptures, it can go two ways. One, it can develop a healing clot that blocks the heart's blood flow, leading to a lack of oxygen being delivered to the heart muscle, effectively damaging the section involved. Or two, if it's a smaller clot, it can heal over without blocking the blood flow. In an interview with Dr. Peter Tia, preventative cardiologist Dr. Ethan Weiss stated that these events occur many times over a person's lifetime, leaving pathological evidence like tree rings in the artery vessel wall. We further know that the artery wall plaques that can cause a heart attack have walled off bacterial biofilms that come from our oral and gut bacteria. These bacteria have translocated to the heart and walled themselves off, causing a local artery inflammatory process that is also ground zero for a potential heart attack. Since prevention is about catching disease where it begins, this is a conversation that parents need to have with their children. Next week, we'll hit into round four. Section two, calming the gut on fire. Dr. Robert Roundtree was in a recent lecture hall discussing this case that I was at. I listened to his impassioned speech on the upstream risks of necessary treatments for inflammatory bowel disease. Here's a snapshot of what you can do to decrease your risk of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, otherwise known as inflammatory bowel diseases. Damage the intestinal microbiome from ultra-processed dietary choices. Exposure to current levels of antibiotics and chemicals damage the gut flora to a point that the intestinal lining gets disrupted, leading to auto-reactivity of self-tissue and auto-inflammation of local tissue, activating the innate and adaptive immune system to attack us. Then, the gut lining gets inflamed and damaged, leading to bloody and mucousy stools, weight loss, malabsorption, anemia, and other systemic symptoms. Dysbiotic bacterial overgrowth leads to bacterial structures triggering innate immune receptors further, triggering cytokines being released to recruit immune cells like neutrophils and inflammasome to the area to activate and inflame local tissue. New evidence is also showing that viral bacteriophages are reducing bacterial biodiversity, further triggering illness. Dysbiotic means poor richness and species diversity of these bacteria. For the younglings of the world, the avoidance of the disease states called IBD would follow by the would be really important if we did the following 
One, avoid antibiotics. Two, consume a whole natural, non-processed diet. Three, avoid non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and acetaminophen. Four, keep a vitamin D and A level via your diet and supplements and the sun exposure to normal levels. Five, avoid toxins like endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Go to ewg.org to look more about, look up information more about this. Six, expose children to dirt and natural pets at young ages. Seven, avoid sanitizing your local environment constantly. Eight, breastfeed and try to deliver via vaginal route. Nine, consume lots of fiber-rich foods for a prebiotic source of food for the microbiome. And ten, drink lots of water and have daily bowel movements. Those are just some of the things that we should be doing for every disease prevention situation. But for inflammatory bowel disease, they're very important. Section three, recipe of the week. If you go to the website, you'll see mushroom and butternut squash pizza. If you like pizza and you have a home oven like an uni, then try this recipe by Giada De Laurentiis. The link is in the newsletter. All right, folks, that's a quick one for this week. Again, the song of the week is Pure and Easy by Pete Townsend. The recent podcast was number 40 with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. I think this is a pretty awesome one where we looked at the methods to reverse and stall biological aging. Super cool. So with that, hug those kids. Have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professionals not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.